Welcome to episode 228 of X-Labs, where we're going to be taking a look at one of our favorite books here. Today, we're talking about Hellions, Hellions number 13, which serves as a reminder that Hellions has not yet been canceled, and that's a very, very good thing. Uh, cover date, September 2021. Stories called Don't Look Back, Part 1, colon, Weary Travelers. Written by Zeb Wells, art by Rose Antonio, colors Rain Barreto, letters VCs Ariana Mar, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Amaro, Basso, White, Sabolski. Cover price $3.99 American. And this one went on sale July 7 of 2021. Once again, we open with a mostly blank quote page uh, coming to us from Nightcrawler. And we've seen this quite a few times in Hellions. Now, in this quote, Nightcrawler warns of the past catching up to us. Probably has something to do with the uh, dead and scarred sinister returning to Earth, right? Well, our story opens somewhere in Arizona, where we catch back up with the right. And, uh, well, it's been a minute since we last saw them, huh? Anyway, we've got a Dr. Merch uh, being chatted up about a busted smiley bot by some pleb named Dr. Maya. Now, it's deduced here that uh, one of the smiley bots was able to somehow use the Hodge code, which, if you recall, was a robot who thought itself to be the actual Cameron Hodge, so they used the Hodge code and were somehow able to produce a neonate, which is, of course, the, uh, the baby right bot that uh, Nanny currently has here. So uh, Merch is shocked that their AI program could do any such thing. And he suggests that the AI program somehow produced a mutant, which I guess it could be technically a mutant. Merch then calls in the Zeta team, who are being dispatched to take out the self-replicating mutant AI. Now, the Zetas look like a moderately more interesting version of the Reavers, or maybe that Wetworks team that we saw back in X-Force number one. They've got their faces painted to resemble the smiley bots a bit, and uh, they are all quite insane. Now, speaking of that mutant neonate bot baby, uh, we shift scenes over to Nanny's ship on Krakoa, where Nanny is, uh, well, you know, playing with and caring for that very same bot baby. And of course, this is a big no-no on Krakoa. As we know, Krakoa ain't keen on AIs and the post-humanity sort of stuff. From here, double-page spread, a roll call, and cred. Our characters include Havoc, the Orphan Maker, Nanny, Wildchild, Psylocke, Empath, Greg Crow, and Mr. Sinister. From here, we hop over to Purgatory, which is the Hellions' headquarters. And here, we see Greg Crow and Wildchild having a little bit of fun with Empath. Now, you see, Empath doesn't quite remember how he died back during the Hodge mission, which was round about issue 8 or so. And so, Greycrow is screwing with him. He says that uh, Empath died heroically. Not only that, Empath sacrificed himself to save the rest of the team. 
And uh, Empath, he's not exactly buying it, nor should he, but uh, this is a really, really fun scene regardless. Um, the team actually feels like they're giving each other the benefit of the doubt here, and uh, I gotta say, it's pretty nice to see Empath softening a little bit here, because he was uh, he was damn unpleasant <laughs> early on in the series, and he still is, but uh, I don't know, he's, he's a little bit more fun here. Uh, Quinan pops her head in uh, before quickly leaving. Now, Grey Crow, who's got the hot pants for her, gives Chase to chat her up. He congratulates her and thanks her for leading them to victory during the Arcade Arc, which we, you know, wrapped up a couple of uh, issues of Hellions ago. To which she snaps around, explains to him that he has no idea what she actually had to do that day, and basically tells him to bug off. From here, we go back to Nanny's ship, and Nanny returns to the ship only to find Call Me Pete there waiting for her. Oh, and he's playing with the right bot baby. Huh. Well, she calls him a stupid, stupid boy and tells him to beat it. And also, he isn't to tell anyone what he's seen here today because bad things happen to bad boys. So, slump-shouldered, Pete agrees and leaves. Later, Grey Crow is walking the halls of Purgatory when he's alerted by the sound of weeping. Now, it's the orphan maker having a good cry over getting yelled at by Nanny. And so, John sidles up next to him to see what's wrong. Pete sobs about being too big to watch Nanny change anymore, and uh, he also mentions that he saw something he wasn't supposed to, and how it's something he's not allowed to tell anyone about. Grey Crow's all, yeah, that's fine, kid, I don't need to know any of that. He then asks if Pete would like to go clean some guns with him, which, uh, well, Orphan Maker excitedly takes him up on. From here, it's an info page, and it's a memo from Prodigy of X-Factor only here to serve to remind us that X-Factor is no longer a book that's being published while Excalibur and X-Corp somehow live on. Okay, okay, that's not really the point. It's just one of my takeaways from it. Anyway, Prodigy gives us the Cliff's Notes version of the Hellion's time during X-Attends, uh, at least as much of it as he's privy to. Now, he comments that Nanny, Wildchild, and Orphan Maker all died in a month and were resurrected with a little bit of wonkiness. Also, that Havoc, Psylocke, Grey Crow, and Empath were all mortally wounded in the Menth, uh, and only barely made it back to Krakoa before ultimately succumbing to their injuries, which we know that's not exactly the case. And, you know, Prodigy ain't really buying it either, and he suggests that a uh, thorough size scan of Sinister might be uh, in order, and uh, suggests that Emma Frost be the one to perform it. Over to the bar Sinister, where the man is talking with a projection of Mastermind, now, they discuss using Arcade a few issues back in order to set up a clone farm, likely where Sinister will be doing something with those Amenthi samples in secret. Mastermind also comments that he hasn't been paid for his services just yet, which gets him a, uh, yeah, 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 checks in the mail sort of response from Sinister. Now, Jason also mentions that, uh, well, he must have broken, like, some sort of chain letter in hell or something because he's now hooked up with X-Corp and therefore out of this fine book. Sinister is then joined by Sinister. It's the scarred Sinister who was ripped to ribbons in a month. Well, actually, it looks like he's been there a while. He's even served himself dinner. He's just sitting at a table with a, with a huge serving of food before him. Now, scarred Sinister ain't all that happy with how things played out. You see, Sinister Prime kind of screwed him over, claiming that the trip to a month was actually some sort of prize to a noble contest. Now, this noble contest was around a rock-paper-scissors, which Sinister Prime cheated to lose anyway. Prime also comments that Scar was given a cape. 
And, well, the first thing Scar went and did was lose the thing to King Jamie the Weird. Now, Scar's got a lot of kvetches. And so, Sinister suggests they discuss it further on a walk over to the incinerator, which is pretty damn funny. Scar then socks Prime in the mush, which causes the real deal to trigger an alarm to call in the Hellions to back him up. Speaking of which, Grey Crow and Orphan Maker continue cleaning their guns. John says, uh, well, he learned how to do this from his father, which lead to Pete suggesting that, you know what, it'd probably be nice to have a father. John says, well, maybe, maybe not. Don't know if this is a hint at some sort of Peter parentage here, but uh, it's probably something worth putting in the, in the back of our hat for now. Now, Alex enters the room to commend the fellas on cleaning their, quote, murder things. And, hmm, you know, we've talked a bit about Alex here and how odd he's been acting. Uh, this odd, aloof Alex, I don't know, I'm not entirely on board with it here. Maybe it's some sort of a defense mechanism. Of course, these characters are all dealing with trauma, right? That's the whole point of this team. And uh, even since being put on the team, he's faced quite a bit of trauma. So maybe he's just cutting himself off from being more personable, maybe trying to actively not bond with his teammates. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it, it still feels kind of weird. Now, speaking of Alex being aloof, Grey Crow calls him out on consciously ignoring the rest of the team during the Hellfire Gala, to which Alex is all, oh, you guys were there too? Hmm... Then, the sinister alarm goes off, and Quinan calls the team into action. We hop back down to the bar, where the Sinisters continue to throw down. Prime mentions how King Jamie the Weird recently approached him, claiming that he was under some sort of debt obligation and owed him a favor, which of course resulted in Betsy Braddock getting her black market bod. Scar comments how clear Prime's skin is, and of course Scar is very scarred, and he offers to etch a few scars into Sinister's cheek. Prime tries to reason with him, asking if he'd like to see the treasures that he'd sacrificed so much for, i.e. the Amenthi DNA. Just then, the Hellions enter. Scar Sinister gleefully informs them that their leader has returned from Amenth, and our team is, unsurprisingly, a bit confused. And so Scar realizes that Prime really didn't level with the team over what really went down, to which Grey Crow raises an eyebrow, but Quanon kinda gets the picture. Prime tells the team what went down, sorta. You see, he sent a clone with them to Amenth, and, you know, everybody died. And he, he's very, very sorry about that. That sucks that everybody died. But he wonders what could be done about that now, right? I mean, it's, it's over, right? We're, we're all back together. Everybody's cool. Anyway, he wonders aloud how Scar managed to escape. To which, and here's where the other shoe drops, Scar says he didn't escape. You never escape. You see, he's not even he's not even here alone, and he's not even acting of his own accord. He's here to do the bidding of his new master, Tarn the Uncaring. Hmm. And so enter the Locust Vile, and we wrap up with the Hellions surrounded by the Amenthi abominations. Scar informs them all that, well, it's time for a rematch. And that is where we end it. Next episode, we get into some manslaughter with uh, X-Force, but uh, for now, let's talk about this fun little issue of Hellions. So, with uh, X-Factor off the table, at least for now, um, Hellions is undoubtedly the most Claremontian book in the run here, or in the family of X-Books, 
where every one of our characters gets a, gets a little bit of a shine here. They all get a moment. They all get a little bit of advancement in their story. Uh, we still have sub subplots cooking in the background. And we have things that were subplots coming to the fore. I mean, this is just good old-fashioned classic, you know, X-Men storytelling, and I couldn't be happier here. The, the smile I have on my face after reading an issue of Hellions is... Uh, it's it's a rarity, you know. Um, uh, these books, uh, the entire line here, it has its ups, it has its downs. Mostly, I, I would consider this uh, era of X Men to be a net positive. Uh, I, I enjoy far more than I don't. But then you get to a special book like Hellions that has, you know, we talk about that nebulous heart, and it certainly does have that here. And you know, speaking of heart, I can't believe. The work that Wells has done with Greycrow. Greycrow as the heart of this team is ridiculous. I, I never thought I'd care about this character. When I saw Greycrow added to the roster, you know, in the preliminary promos for Hellions, back when we still had Fallen Angels, you know, I see Greycrow and my, my mind immediately goes to, well, we're getting a funny haha Alvaro team, you know, and of course, Alvaro team in, in X-Lapsed parlance is any sort of randomly put together team of characters who were, you know, kind of obscure, kind of under the radar, but, you know, everybody thinks like they're super cool, <laughs> and we're going to shove them in here without much thought as to how they're actually going to work and function on this team. That's what I thought, and of course I was wrong, because Grey Crow has become the heart of this team, and it makes sense you know, you have him as a member of the Marauders, the Legacy Marauders, and we're getting the impression there that this wasn't just an assemblage of killers, you know, pulled together by Mr. Sinister. This was, to the members of the team, they were, I guess, as dysfunctional as they were, they were still something of a family. And so we've got Grey Crow now with the Hellions trying to evoke that same sort of feeling. You know, taking Pete aside to clean guns. You know, just to make him feel better. This guy is a, you know, cold-blooded killer. You know, he, his name used to be Scalp Hunter. <laughs> I mean, he was not a, uh, not a likable guy. Not uh, a redeemable guy. And here he is pulling this team together. You would figure, or at least I would figure, that as this team was going to begin to meld that our heart was going to be um, Havoc. I thought Alex was going to be the one who was going to come around and be like, yeah, you know what, we're all broken, but we're a team, let's make the best of it. And it's not. Havoc is too wrapped up in his own stuff. And it's, uh, I mean, Havoc is, I don't know if we would call him an A-list character or a B-list character. I mean, he's an important character. And maybe he doesn't need the sort of shine that a Grey Crow needs, who over the course of the past 13 issues of Hellions, has gone from maybe a C or D-list character to a solid B character, right? He's His uh, his star is shining probably more than ever here, and it's just so incredibly well done. Um, Grey Crow, we, we know he has feelings for Quinan, who, who may return those feelings as well, but uh, she's closely guarding herself because of what she's being forced to do for her digital daughter, right? Uh, so she's not quite as open to pursuing any sort of romantic entanglement or relationship with Grey Crow, but there's still feelings there. 
Grey Crow has taken Wildchild under his uh, under his wing. You know, they they are they have a sort of I don't know father son would be a proper uh, descriptor for it, but definitely big brother little brother. Same with uh, Pete, who I'm starting to think might might have some sort of a parentage thing with Grey Crow, um, which would be really really interesting because it would dig so much into. That weird and wonderful uh, Mutant Massacre era of the X-Books from the mid-80s. So that would be... That'd be something if it were to come together. Uh, Grey Crow even sort of kind of bonding with Empath, which we've seen Empath and Grey Crow buttheads pretty much constantly. And here, I mean, yes, he's he's screwing with Empath, but it's a more good-natured one. And it's almost like... Giving him like the power of suggestion a bit Where trying to make him a better person It's like, yeah, you know what, you you died to save us No, I didn't No, no, you did, you did, you really did Which might make Empath Who will immediately, you know, uh, distrust And throw that off to the side Being like, nah, that never happened It might put it in the back of his head that Hmm, maybe, maybe I did Maybe I do care about these characters Maybe I do care about my teammates And I mean, it's just so well done now let's talk Sinister. Sinister, uh, Sassy Sinister has been winning me over every single time out here, and uh, Hellions is always able to deliver like one actual, at least one actual laugh out loud moment. And Sinister, like putting his arm around the scarred version, being like, well, yeah, let's talk about that on our way to the incinerator. I mean, that, <laughs> that is just funny. The, the, the comedic timing. Of uh, Zeb Wells here And I mean we have a fill-in artist here It's not even Steven Segovia It's Roge Antonio Who is still able to bring it I mean the art uh, Of course I'd prefer it to be Segovia But the art does not suffer at all Under Antonio's uh, pencils and pens here The comic timing Which is so important to this series Is still there And it's uh, just (laughs) Let's talk about it on our way to the incinerator That's just That's damn funny That's good um, I love the fact that Scarred Sinister was, uh, I mean, he was sewed back together by Tarn the Uncaring. He's with the Locust Vile. It all makes perfect sense here, and of course they're going to want revenge. Uh, I think the Locust Vile would see them as the ones who got away. And of course they got away with the DNA, which is something that the Scarred Sinister would know all about, since he was there to, to do that thing. Uh, the Locust Vile continues to be horrifying. They're a scary group of characters here, and I can't wait to see how this one uh, plays out. I actually have the next issue of this one already. Uh, DCBS, when they sent me my order weeks late, (laughs) I got some of the August books in the shipment here, and it's basically everything I could do not to dig into it because I don't want to to spoil the experience. And uh, I like to give you all my hot takes and uh, first impressions for the program here, but I think that's all I have to say about the issue. It was wonderful. It's a great series. I hope it survives Inferno. I think it might not. Um, we still have some um, some subplots we want to deal with here, right? We got the right baby, which I think is going to be where we go right after the uh, the the Tarn the Uncaring bit will uh, wrap up. I'm guessing we're probably going to jump into the right baby thing, but I mean, we still have to figure out why Havoc freaked out back in the first issue. So we still have that. Not that that stops Marvel from canceling books. <laughs> I mean, we saw how uh, how X Factor was kind of rushed to a conclusion. So, fingers crossed that this one survives whatever calls are to come. And uh, I mean, we do have Zeb Wells about to take over Amazing Spider-Man three times a month, which a I can't wait for, and uh, b 
kind of makes me nervous that either he'll be leaving Hellions or Hellions will just not be a thing anymore. But all we can do is uh, keep supporting the book that we love so much, keep our fingers crossed, and uh, hope for the best. <laughs> but uh, again, that's all I have to say about the issue. It's a, it's a great one. If you're not reading Hellions, I mean, every time we talk about Hellions, I say if you're not reading it, read it. <laughs> Please do. It's It's very, very good. Anyway, from here, let's hop into the mailbag. It's a little bit shorter than last episode, but uh, let's start with Damien, who's talking about the Savage Avengers King in Black tie-ins. Now, Damien says, So, it turns out you do get something out of listening to an episode of X-Lapsed, even if you haven't read the comics. You made this sound really fun. Unlike you, I'll always grab an old Conan issue if it's priced cheaply. I'm not really a fan of the characters or the stories, but they seem to bring out the best in artists, and I've always been a sucker for pretty art. I feel like if I uh, ran into these cheap Conans a little less frequently, maybe I'd think differently. I, I just see them all the time, and uh, I really don't have any interest in the stories, so probably not something I'd pick up. Um, I remember when I first started hitting the bins, like it was a rarity to see like Bronze Age Legion of Superheroes comics, and uh, or Bronze Age comics in general, and so... I'd see an occasional Legion from the mid-70s or something, and I'd grab it because it's like, oh, you know, 50 cents, and it's uh, it's old, <laughs> and it uh, looks like it could be fun. I'm not sure if I'll read it, but it looks like it's nice to have. And then it's like you jump ahead a couple of years, and the bins are just full of Bronze Age Legion stuff, so it doesn't feel like it's that urgent anymore. Uh, same with uh, Warlord from DC. I remember seeing a couple issues of that spattered around a cheapo bin, and it's like, oh, you know, it's a. This is a book that has, you know, a, a lot of. I don't know if I want to say a lot of buzz, but people seem to dig it, and so I grabbed a few issues of it, and then jump ahead a little while, and you can go through entire cheapo bins that are just Warlord and and Warlord and Legion. Um, now Conan is is kind of similar. Where if I think I think if I saw like one or two issues of it, I'd probably have a little bit of urgency. And I mean, it is some gorgeous artwork. But uh, if I have to choose between that and something else, I'm gonna probably choose something else each time. But I'm so happy that you enjoyed uh, the episodes of the Savage Avengers there, uh, despite not actually sitting down and reading them. And I, that still blows my mind that the Conan stuff is not on Marvel Unlimited. That it's very, very strange. But uh, thank you so much for checking out those episodes and uh, letting us know your thoughts. Uh, next up, Meal giving us a Hellions retrospective, a, uh, a State of the Union on the Hellions. Now, Meal says, Hellions is a 100 out of 10, and I agree. It's great. It's stupendous. My favorite issue is number four. The data pages were fascinating. It was Havoc-centric. I wanted to punch Cyclops in the face. It was great. I can't even think of any worst issue, because they're all great. Now, while I'm enjoying the most recent Dark of Hellions, I hope we can go back to the premise of the book. As I do really enjoy this book, it has strayed away from its original prompt. Now, after Inferno, if Maddie comes back, I have a, I have a better idea than canceling it. You can shift Maddie and Alex to something like a Mr. and Mrs. X-type book. Well, maybe you can recruit Hellion and Sprite, the Jia Jing version. You wouldn't know her, she's from the Jean Grey school. I think I do know her. I probably wouldn't be able to point her out of the lineup, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> I've seen her. Uh, Mill continues, but that's just me. I hope they never cancel this book, and if it ends before Excalibur, I will riot. So, until Jason Todd gets therapy, be mine, X-Lapsed. And thank you so much for your thoughts on this wonderful book here, and we're very much in agreement. I... Don't want to see this one go away ever. <laughs> this is a 
some of the most fun I've had reading X-Men comics in a very long time and boy I I hope it survives Inferno. I really really do. I'm not convinced it will, but uh I fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, right? But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Hellions. Next up, Andrew's still working his way through the Hellfire Gala by uh, hook or by crook here. Today, he's going to share with us his thoughts on Wolverine and Sword. Andrew says, I kind of like the X-Force issue that preceded this issue of Wolverine. I remember feeling like the Terra Verde plot developments would be pretty important. Well, it seems like they weren't. This issue felt very perfunctory. There's some fighting, Beast gets a finger wagging, and an info page wraps it up in the true Ben Percy fashion. The fighting with the vegged-out Terra Verdans attracts no notice, so most of the issue feels very removed from any context. Sadly, it felt inconsequential to me, which is something that a lot of the X-Line increasingly feels like to me now. That's kind of the problem with uh, having like little disparate corners of our X-Men family of books here. We've got this Ben Percy corner where anytime it takes part in a crossover, it kind of just becomes its own crossover into itself, and... Sometimes there just isn't enough story to make that worthwhile. You know, we had the Wolverine issue, we have the X-Force issue here. It seems like we're just really stretching things out, and it feels divorced from the context of uh, whatever crossover that it's in. It's, I mean, we had, uh, in X-Attends, we had Wolverine in Hell, <laughs> you know, for two issues. Here we have, like, Deadpool showing up, which was fun, but we have this plant thing, which... Hey, I mean, it is what it is. It it helps the X-Force story, but uh, just doesn't fit into the, the grander crossover here. And especially since nobody seemed to notice, it's... I don't know. I don't know. Andrew continues. I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I have read the description, and I'm looking forward to hearing your further thoughts on Beast and his outlook. I find that I accept that this is his character now, so they've succeeded in gaslighting me. I'm too busy scrutinizing Havoc's character over in Hellions to fight against this one. And you know, um, if you've listened to that episode by now, you'll know that I'm kind of starting to maybe not so much come around to this new take on Beast, but I'm maybe I'm gaslighting myself. <laughs> I'm kind of justifying his actions here as being, you know, the first time that he's without any sort of limits, any sort of rules. He's basically, he doesn't have to uh, to abide by any kind of ethical practice here. He's just a means to an end at this point. Do what you have to do to keep Krakoa safe, and that's exactly what he's doing. So he's doing the thing that, uh, well, nobody else has the stomach to do. And while it does make him a sociopath, it's also something that, I don't know, if we squint, it almost feels natural. Um, I think maybe if we put ourselves in his shoes here, where it's like, well, you've been given this one task... And you've been given tasks before in the past, right? The legacy virus, the endangered species. And all those times you kind of had to... You had to check some balances. You were either checking and balancing with some of the bigger brains in the X-Men or with the Avengers. So now you're kind of left to your own devices here. And you have that one mission that you have to uh, accomplish. And uh, you're going to do whatever you have to do in order to... Make it work here. I'm if I had any sort of like video editing talent, or if any you know other podcasters in this community even realized that I was here, I would love to have like a like an actual court session, you know, like in defense of Hank McCoy, because I feel like 
a lot of folks out there have just kind of uh, given up on them. And I had for a while here until I kind of reframed my mind here as a way of devil's advocating or gaslighting myself. I would love to do a defense of Hank McCoy and hey, maybe one of these days, maybe one of these days. Andrew continues, maybe you answered this already, but what was up with the elderly couple? I thought it was very odd how front and center they were and why this random upper-class elderly couple would be at the gala in the first place. Are they someone most readers would recognize? Great question. I don't know. I don't know, and I felt the same way, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned that throughout the uh, episode. It's like, I don't know who these characters are. Are we supposed to recognize them? Are they... I mean, maybe they're maybe they're Ben Percy's parents. I don't know. Maybe they're just a uh, Easter egg or something. I, I, I really don't know. Next, Andrew shifts over to Sword, and he says, Now for Sword. Stop me if you heard this one before, but it's not a book I normally read. We get two new metaplot additions to this issue. The mutants have the bestest, most valuable metal in the universe, the basics, the basis for a new universal currency, because at this point, why not? And Storm is the Queen of Mars, because, sure, why not? Queen of Mars is a suitably dramatic role for her, and I'd be surprised if Doctor Doom didn't fall to his knees in love with her all over again. It's funny, in reading Sword, I think I, I, I almost missed the story. <laughs> um, because I was so hung up on the fact that I hated all the characters in it. Um, not that I hate these characters wholesale, but just how snarky and how um, kind of up their own ass they all were. It was very, uh, they were very unpleasant to read about. It's kind of kind of like that know-it-all that you, you just don't want to deal with. They all had that uh, cat that ate the canary look on their face like, ha-ha, we got you. And it's like, I can't sympathize with characters who were just so, I don't know, obnoxious. <laughs> He just seemed so obnoxious. Um, the metal, eh, you know, I feel like this is like comics Occam's razor here, right? You have, we have this, uh, boy, I don't even, Mysterium, Mysterium, right? And, like, we hear about this Mysterium, we see the lengths that they go to to get it, we see their cash of it, and it's like, well, what can this mean? You know, what, what could this be? It's, you think about all the far-out things, the high-concept reasons why this might be a thing, and then you think about the most obvious one and the simplest one, and it's like, ah, it's a currency. And, oh, boop, yep, there it is. It's a currency. So it was kind of a letdown that uh, that's what it was after the build. I, I, I don't know that I was expecting that much more than that, but I wasn't exactly wanting it to be what it turned out to be. As far as Storm becoming Queen of Mars, at least it's something for her to do. At least she's not going back to Wakanda. I mean, she will be in... Um, Black Panther number three, I think, in October. But I was worried that after the uh, the little stint in Wakanda in the lead up to Exa Tens, that that Storm was going to be headed back to to Wakanda for uh, the long term, and that we would have to cover Black Panther every single month in order to keep up with her. So I'm happy that wasn't the case. Andrew wraps up with, Now there's only two comics left before I could put this event behind me, so until Krakoa claims to have the best pizza in the universe, make mine X-Labs. Well, thank you so much for uh, for keeping up with the Hellfire Gala here. Um, it had its highs, it had its lows. Some of it was a slog, some of it was a real slog. But uh, I definitely look forward to hearing your thoughts on the uh, concluding two chapters here, especially the final issue of X-Factor. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Finally, we got Evan talking about Way of X. Now, Evan says it was worth the wait. I guess we had to build this world before Nightcrawler started exploring the cracks 
K-R-A-K-S. Uh, or maybe they were just looking for the right person to write it. Issue 1 suggests that they found him in Cy Spurrier. Now, you didn't spend too much time on the sushi cheese toasty detail. To me, that was the most significant moment, made more so by its seemingly mundane nature. It subtly but deftly pulls the rug out from under the resurrection protocols, and it does it on their terms. If genetics plus memories is the sum total of what makes a person a person, putting aside even questions about the soul, then Pixie 2.0 is a different person than the one who died in the hate museum. Side note, Sink is Laura's cheese toasty, and that's very, very true. I thought I did pay special attention to that, and I th- maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought I did uh, pay special attention to the mundanity of that, but how it also kind of yanks the rug out from under the entire basis of the Resurrection Protocols. I thought I did. Maybe, maybe I didn't. I... I I think I have notes on it. Uh, maybe it was a different episode. Maybe I was uh, reflecting on it. Uh, I do talk a lot, is kind of the thing here. And Sink is definitely Laura's cheese toasty here. She's forgotten all about her taste for, uh, for Sink. Uh, Evan continues, As much as I was looking forward to this, I was a little wary of how Kurt's Christianity might be portrayed. Religion seems to be one of the human concepts that Krakoans are eager to disdain. Sure, Magneto and Dr. Nemesis didn't treat it with respect, but that was in character. It seems like Kurt is not abandoning his faith, but wrestling with it, which fits the character and does not dismiss what's come before, or Christianity, or religion in general. Magneto's ignorance of past divine encounters can be forgiven in his line about God not revealing himself, like, say, the Asgardians, because I thought that made an interesting point. And yeah, I totally agree. This is something we've uh, talked about a few times as it pertains to uh, Way of X and how I was a little bit trepidatious while not, you know, I'm not a terribly religious fellow. I, I do respect all religions, and I still carry with me a whole lot of Catholic guilt, which is probably evident. But, uh, no, I do respect all religions uh, and uh, lack of religions. I mean, to each their own, right? It's really not any of my business to begin with. But I was nervous that this was going to treat religion with um, with a whole lot of disdain and just dismissive sort of a dialogue, but no, no, uh, this is being treated with, uh, with fairness, um, with an appreciation, with an, with a respect. It's, uh, not what I expected when we started this and, uh, boy, it's, it's really, really good stuff. Uh, Evan continues. Oh, and you were dead on about Nemesis's mushrooms. Oh boy. I saw a promo for that and had been dreading that portion of the issue. It lived down to my expectations and, ugh. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Nemesis, someone needs to tell him to put his hat back on because, ugh, mushrooms growing out of a head is disgusting. I've mentioned that scene in Swamp Thing where he, like, pulls, like, a tuber out of his body and feeds it to Abigail. Oh, God, that's disgusting. And the the Nemesis thing is similar. I'm just glad nobody, like, ate one. Ugh, God, gross. Uh, Evan wraps up with, side note, it was an appropriate choice, but I've had fastball stuck in my head since I finished the episode. And yeah, it's a little uh, funny, haha, I included uh, Fastball's The Way as the outro to that episode there. Uh, and that song is definitely an earworm. That'll that'll stick with you for a day or two after you hear it. It's not one that they play too often, at least uh, not on the stations I listen to. So when you do hear it, it's kind of... It kind of stands out, and it kind of sticks with you. That's one fun thing about using music for these episodes, where uh, 
Like I was at a comic shop about a month ago and I'm digging through the back issue bins and they had a radio playing and suddenly uh, the Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime started playing on it. And it was just, it really, (laughs) I think I like literally started laughing there. So they probably thought I was insane. But uh, it's always funny when you you hear something that's familiar, but for like the reason it's not supposed to be familiar. It's, uh, I don't know, it, it kind of tickles me. But thank you so much, Evan, for writing in. I've been looking forward to your thoughts on Way of X uh, ever since it came out. So thank you so much for uh, checking in. Now that'll do it for the mailbag, but uh, we got one more thing to cover here today. Uh, it is a Tuesday episode, but since this Monday's episode was like ungodly long, I decided to move the This Week in X uh, segment to right now. So, This Week in X... If you go to Marvel Unlimited, uh, I guess as of yesterday, these three issues have been made available. And we got Children of the Atom number three. Okay, we got X Factor number nine. And uh, we got X Corp number one. So I'm looking forward to hearing people's thoughts on X Corp number one. Please write in. If you agree with me, if you disagree with me, if you've listened this far and already hate my guts for not really caring for it, Whatever the case, I would like to hear your thoughts on this one here. Make me feel insane. Make me feel less insane. Uh, Make me feel like you're listening. I don't know. But uh, those are the three issues right now available on Marvel Unlimited. And coming to us on shelves at your local comic shop and, uh, I guess, Comixology or wherever you get your digital stuff, we've got Marauders number 23 as we edge even closer to there actually being a 25th issue of a current year X-book, believe it or not. Also, Way of X number 5, which might be the final issue before we get to the one-shot onslaught thing. We got X Corp number 4. Eh, maybe that one will win me over. We got X-Men Trial of Magneto number 1, so uh, I guess that's my sign to uh, distance myself from social media even more than I usually do, because that one, I'm sure there are people already just foaming at the mouth to uh, spoil at uh, 12.01 a.m. Wednesday morning. To get their their likes and their retweets Uh, Also, we got Reign of X Volume 3, the anthology And finally, a book that I have ordered I don't know if we'll be covering it Or I don't know if we'll be covering it in great detail But it's Guardians of the Galaxy number 17 Which I think will be wrapping up The Last Annihilation Or actually, no, check that Because we still have the Cable Reloaded thing coming out in a few weeks So we're probably at the midpoint of Last Annihilation here And if it has anything to do with Sword or Cable We will take a look at it on the show. Otherwise, we'll probably just, uh, I'll read it and I'll, you know, we'll use it as as catch-up material for those other episodes. But those are the books on the shelves. Those are the books at Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week at your local shops. But that's going to do it for me today. Uh, If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can find us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. We do a lot of talking about the X-Men there. And if uh, you'd like to join, we would love to have you. Hope to see you there soon. Finally, for the complete archives and all the Chris and Reggie stuff, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available all the applications and devices that aggregates noise and sound on the internet. So, uh, I mean, you're listening now, so you probably know about it. But, uh, hey, if you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to uh, maybe share that link, spread the word, tell a friend or two. That would really, really help me out. But 
that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for spending your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.